Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. Well, how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily Podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Tell me more, tell me more. Is this the Bechdel cast? <laughs> okay, okay. I like this. You know, I'll be, I could be a, I could be a greaser. <laughs> You could be. You know, what's the most the thing that frustrates me about the T birds is that they have such good outfits, but then they're just rampant misogynists. It's such a waste of a good outfit. <laughs> and they have the the most the funniest um the funniest voices. Yeah. There's a they've got a lot going for them and then it's all squandered. It's a waste of a powerful aesthetic. It's used for evil. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Uh, hello and welcome to the Bechtelcast. My name is Caitlin Durante. My name is Jamie Loftus. Sorry for um, totally bailing on the singing. You know, I'm I'm used to it by now. <gasps> is that true? Have I no, bailed no, on no, you no. in song just, before? No, no, but I'm thinking. So I'm thinking back to our recent Beauty and the Beast episode where you fully commit oh, to the song. I was and singing I too much and pissing my pants, laughing the entire time. So it's not good singing. The, so we are the Bechtel cast. We examine movies through an intersectional feminist lens, using yes. the Bechtel test simply as a jumping-off point. Jamie, what is it? The Bechtel test? What is it? Uh, Well, since you asked, the Bechtel test is a media metric invented by queer cartoonist Alison Bechtel, sometimes called the Bechtel-Wallace test, that for our purposes requires that two characters with names of a marginalized gender speak to each other about something other than a man sounds like it should be easy enough but a lot of things don't pass and then some things that do pass i'm not foreshadowing in any way um some things that do pass are still like really uh really not it doesn't it, you know it doesn't vouch for content it's right. not a metric that vouches for content <laughs> so just, true 
what was the worst one what the all-time worst one is still she's all that right where it's like oh yeah Claire Duvall is like go die you should kill yourself and, and then Rachel Lee Cook's like oh no is oh. that I forget how that goes <laughs> No, thank you. I don't remember. Well, <laughs> right. uh, we have an amazing guest today. I'm so excited. Yes, we do. She's an actor. You know her from Z Nation and Teen Beach Movie, which is my favorite decom of all time. It's That's Gracie true. Gillum. Hi, everybody. Welcome. Welcome. Thanks We're so psyched here. to have you. I'm so psyched to be here. Oh, wow. What a So t- let's talk Greece, shall we? I feel like your character in the Teen Beach movies is kind of like a greaser girl, like a pink lady almost, right? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Wow. Oh, it's all coming together. I went back and watched it and I was like, wait, it's all connected. It's all <laughs> connected. And then, well, Teen Beach movie is really supposed to take place, like the movie within a movie is more of a Frankie and Annette movie. Mm-hmm. And then... Grease definitely has Frankie Avalon in it and then has a joke about Annette's tits. So it's pretty much the same movie as Teen Beach Movie. Uh Same energy. Same energy. (laughs) Same energy. So uh, apart from that, what is your relationship with Grease the movie, Grease the property in general? Tell us everything. Grease the word. Uh, Grease is the word is the word is the word. Um. (laughs) Grease is a VHS tape that I had growing up. It's a movie my dad, I think, went out of his way to see three or four times in a theater. Wow. I think it was serving me early, outdated, surface-level feminism in a way that really I loved as a child. Mm-hmm. So I've seen this movie way more times than I could possibly count. And then uh, my high school ended up doing Grease, even though it was a kind of a fancy, artsy high school that wouldn't do a show like Grease. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Governor Rick Perry was going to cut <laughs> arts funding for the entire state of Texas, so Ooh. we had to prove that we could make money during the spring. <laughs> so we did Grease. Oh. That is so bleak. <laughs> You're, like, forced to do Grease so that you can continue to get an arts education. Very chill. Go yeah. Rick wow. Perry. Very, very mm. chill. Um, it is how I f- got my first Hollywood agent is he saw me play Rizzo in Greece and gave me his business card after the show. What? Wow. <laughs> you got what? discovered through Greece? <laughs> yeah, in Texas. It's a really old school kind of story. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. And you played Rizzo. That's amazing. Yeah. He was like, here's my card, kid. And I was like, I have a 4.32 GPA. I'm going to college, guy. And then I didn't. Nice. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> college is a scam. So, you know. It's yeah. True. I have not seen Greece since I performed it my senior year of high school. Okay. So I, oh, sorry. I have rewatched it for this podcast. Yeah, I've sure, watched sure. it <laughs> a few times within the span of a very few days. <laughs> Whoa, that is like, that's like, a very deep relationship with Greece. Like we can't follow that. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Jamie, what's your pitiful history with? It? It's nothing. No, it's um, <laughs> it's just less. And my 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 grand. As it should be really. 
My grandma had the VHS and she would make us watch like she's like two VHSs and one was Grease and one was Riverdance. And so I would always choose Grease just kind of like because I didn't want to watch Riverdance. Um, <laughs> so I've seen the, I've seen the movie a bunch, but then I feel like I've seen so many community performances of it. Like my school didn't do it, but like friends schools did it. And like summer theater always would do Grease. And so I've, I think I've seen the movie a ton and then like five or six different local productions and they're all mixed up in my head and mm-hmm. yeah I, th- I think that's that's kind of it I still the the music is still so goddamn catchy oh I know it's so good <laughs> yeah Caitlin what's your history with it I didn't grow up with this movie in fact I'm not even sh- I might not have seen it until so it's kind of hard to know because it's so cultural like osmosis-y for sure and like the songs would play especially like summer nights and you're the one that i want and like maybe greased lightning and like some of the more popular songs devoted to you like there's so many that you're just like even if you haven't been within 10 feet of this movie you know what it sounds like you know what that song those songs would like play at like school dances in our cafeteria in like junior high and stuff like that but i don't think i really saw i don't think i really saw the movie for the first time until Honestly, I don't. I think I maybe like watched it once in college, but then I rewatched it when we covered Grease 2, which we have done on the podcast years ago. <laughs> With Solomon Giorgio. Yes. Yeah. You know, for some reason, we're like, screw Grease. We're going to cover Grease <laughs> 2 first. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll get to the first Grease four full years later. <laughs> yes. <laughs> How it was intended. Yeah. Um, so I really have little exposure to the movie itself. But I know the characters like Danny Zuko and Sandy and Rizzo, like they're iconic characters. The songs are iconic. It was, yeah, very much just like a cultural osmosis thing. It Mm. also was like re-released in theaters several times for different, you know, like anniversaries. It's definitely like one of those like unkillable prop because there's like I I was looking online to see because I remember there was like one of those TV stage productions that starred Vanessa Hudgens a couple years ago as Sandy. Mm can't say i watched it well because there was only one vanessa hudgens in it and it's like if you're not gonna have more than one vanessa hudgens in your movie why bother with don't waste my time she's doing one accent one accent per movie (sighs) no No, thank you i just know she's capable of so much more and so i can't watch it Um, but then there's also like a new series, a Paramount series called Grease Rise of the Pink Ladies coming out like next year. And then there's another, yes. there's a prequel about the summer where they're loving. And it's yes. like, it's very interesting to me because in like researching, like where is, I was like, I don't know where Grease Discourse is, I guess. And it seems to be both like very like, it is like not a hot take by any means to say like most of Greece's plot points age exceptionally badly, but then also they're still like making Greece stuff. It's weird. But also at the same, by that same token, I could see like by 1978 standards and like the stage production first went up and I think 71, mm-hmm. I could see like some components of the story being like, kind of progressive and maybe even like feminist right. for that time very second wavy yeah so yeah. you know it's it's uh it's nestled in an interesting place in history 
and yeah, we're we're still uh, you know, adapting it to prequels and uh spin-offs and all kinds of stuff. So I truly can't think of I'm like, what maybe it will be great, but I'm like, who cares about the summer where they're loving? I learned everything <laughs> I needed to know in the first minute. Right? He's on the beach. It was summer. They were loving. I that's all I needed to know. <laughs> mm-hmm. But what about those summer nights? Don't you want to know about the summer nights? <laughs> You're right. I didn't know enough. I only saw them during the day, and that was right, a problem exa- for yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Um, well, should I dive into the recap, and we'll go from there? Yeah, let's party. Yeah, do it. Okay. So we are in the late 1950s. I think we are in California in the movie, although it's not fully really? specified. I feel I like th- they're the race at the end. They're like driving along the it's the LA River. LA River, yeah. I think that I I looked at I don't I know that the stage play takes place in Chicago. Correct me, Chicago, upstate New York. Oh, okay. It's supposed to be upstate New York, which is why everyone in the play is like pretty explicitly Italian. Right. That makes so much more sense. Even Cha Cha is like explicitly Italian. (laughs) It kind of, this is a horrible connection, but it kind of reminded me because I thought they were in SoCal in this movie, but I wasn't sure. I also saw somewhere that it was supposed to be Delaware, and I don't even know what Delaware looks like. So, uh, (laughs) well, I Google. I don't think it has a beach like that. Oh, yeah. Right. Right. But maybe they were vacationing the same place. Mm, yeah i well the one of the writers of the stage production based it off of his high school in chicago right but yeah for the i don't yeah the movie i googled like where does greece the movie take place and then someone like so many different california came up but it was just because i think it was just shot in california i don't it looks like california but they all sound like they have 50s new york new york right (laughs) It reminds yeah. me of Gigli. <laughs> this is a terrible <laughs> connection, but it reminds oh me of, God, of yes. Gigli, where it's like Ben Affleck's ca- Grace, have you seen Gigli? <laughs> I haven't. I'm sorry. Definitely don't watch I it. Seen- <laughs> but it stars like Ben Affleck. It's another movie in- that takes place in LA where like Ben Affleck has this like weird Newsies accent the whole time where you're like how is this possible he's wearing like a heavy coat the whole movie even though it's he's, 100 he's a degrees. greaser he's wearing a leather coat he's has his hair all slicked back I'm like... Larry Gigli <laughs> <laughs> so weird well, it's out of control um, <laughs> anyway so we are in an unclear location um, but Danny Zuko that's John Travolta of course and Sandy is Olivia Newton-John are teenagers who have just spent a romantic summer together at the beach but the romance has to come to an end because Sandy has to go back to Australia. I love that I didn't realize that she is not Australian in the in the play and it's just because Olivia Newton-John couldn't do a a passable like American American accent. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. In the play it's a surprise that he is at that school because he lies about going to a private school to her over the summer. Oh, interesting. That's a more effective plot point. (laughs) Yeah, she was going to go to the Catholic girls' school and he was going to go to the boys' school or whatever. And they both end up at the public school because that's where he actually goes. (laughs) Uh So was he trying to, like, make him seem like a higher class, like a higher economic class than he is? And, like, less of a slut, I guess. Yeah. Uh (laughs) Sure. Love it. Um... First, we cut to Rydell High. It's the first day of senior year for Danny and his greaser friends who call themselves the T-Birds, uh, which also includes... They're all includes... 35 years old. <laughs> it's... 
There's it. We've been wow. held back so much. Wow, wow, wow. Even watching yeah. this movie on in 380p on Tubi, I was like, these <laughs> these men are simply not 17. They are 40. <laughs> nope. Especially who is like the worst, like one of the most misogynistic guy. This is like not helpful, but I think his name is Sonny. 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 Oh, Sonny the dog. So, yeah. First of all, <laughs> upsetting for me because I already live with a misogynist named Sonny and it's my dog. <laughs> but that the guy who plays sunny especially i'm like you're a father like what are you how did you <laughs> but then you're like oh he's a he's a good dancer that's he's why. a good dancer i think he's actually 31 in that movie although i agree that he looks 38 he's wow rough break rough break for sunny <sighs> he's had a difficult life maybe <laughs> yeah well in addition to sunny there's kanicki and putsy and duty they run with a group of girls called the pink ladies uh, Rizzo is the leader. Uh, Stalker Channing plays this rendition of, of Rizzo. Gracie Gillum has played an incredible version of Rizzo. <laughs> We're just saying many icons have played this role. <laughs> yes. Um, and then there's also Jan, Marty, and Frenchie. And Frenchie introduces the Pink Ladies to Sandy, who ended up not going back to Australia and who is instead going to high school at Rydell this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but Danny and Sandy don't know yet that they are both at the same school. Then we get the summer night song where Danny tells the T-Birds about the girl he met over the summer and Sandy tells the pink ladies about the boy she met and that his name is Danny Zuko. And they're like, oh, oh no, scandal. <laughs> then at a football game, the pink ladies are like, hey, Sandy, look who it is. And it's Danny. But Danny, because he's in front of his like tough guy friends, he mm. feels that he can't be vulnerable and show his feelings for Sandy. So he plays it all cool and aloof, like he doesn't really care about her, which, of course, hurts Sandy's feelings. And she runs off. She loves Sandy does be running off. She <laughs> runs off so many times. She's just like exit left. I can't handle this. <laughs> She is exiting the scene constantly. There, I liked that. That was another fun like place where the whole Australia thing um, just sounds really bizarre. Where he's like, "How did you like? How are you here? I thought you were going back to Australia." She's like, "We changed our change mind. Of plans. <laughs> it's like, you moved to like Echo Park instead of home to Australia. Wild. I know." Um. So Sandy's very sad. She has run off. And to cheer her up, Frenchie invites Sandy over to her house for like a a pink lady's sleepover. Mm -hmm. But then they all just end up like mocking Sandy for being like a goody two shoes. And then the T-Birds show up and then Rizzo goes off with Kaniki. And then they have unprotected sex in the back of his car. Meanwhile, Sandy is still sad about Danny being a jerk, so she sings a song about being hopelessly devoted to him. It's cute. I like the end where it's like the water and then you just see a John Travolta floating in the water. And you're like, oh, that's oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> I love how she puts Marty's nice stationery into a kiddie pool and right. then just leaves it like an asshole. <laughs> what a weird choice, Sandy. Like, Someone had to clean that up, Sandy. Yeah, somebody has to clean that. And then up. she oh, runs yeah. off. After and then she that. Run- she loves to <laughs> she loves to run off. It is stunning how many I should have counted. She runs off so much. I I think I have a pretty good count in the recap alone here. But um, 
so meanwhile, so there's this other group. There's like a rival group of greasers called the Scorpions. It, it, which is just like a Jets and Sharks thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think I think maybe the Scorpions don't go to Rydell or something. I'm not totally That's sure. That's a sin. You can't not be going to Rydell. That's not good. <laughs> Their leader is someone who I think is named Leo. I don't know if they even ever say his name in the movie. They call him Craterface. I think maybe that's his nickname. Anyway, there's this guy who bangs up Kaniki's car. So the T-Birds have to fix up this car. And this is when we get the Grease Lightning song, which I think is also the name of the car. A lot of stuff that, <laughs> around this that is pretty unclear for me, as you can tell. Um, that but... dance sequence is still Ooh. so good. And the outfits, the t- the, when the T-Birds do the outfit change in Grease Lightning, I'm like, where do I get a silver onesie for men like I (laughs) really want that something that I find fascinating about this type of movie featuring this type of character who are like these like macho greaser tough guys the kind of like cognitive dissonance of then them busting out into like choreographed songs with like these flashy outfits and they're dancing and they're singing but it's like they're supposed to be these like tough masculine guys and like I just think that that dissonance is very funny Jets and Sharks baby the best like that's like the most iconic like (laughs) <laughs> like hyper masculinity in uh while also like effortlessly executing a dance right <laughs> yeah very masculine combing of the hair yeah oh. you know how it's super manly to constantly be grooming yourself um <laughs> Um, Okay, so meanwhile, Danny goes and tries to apologize to Sandy for being all aloof like he was. But Sandy's like, screw you, I'm dating Tom now, who is this football jock. So Danny starts to try to be a jock also to impress Sandy. And then we get this very long sequence where he tries a bunch of different sports and sucks at all of them. I did not remember that sequence at (laughs) all. I honestly didn't remember because I think that there's so much like valid conversation, but like a lot of conversation about how Sandy changes for Danny. I forgot that he also tries to change everything about himself. The tone of it's a little different, but like it's I was like, oh. That's right. Huh. Okay. I Yeah, I totally did not remember that that happens. Does that happen in the play as well? No, you can't have that many costume changes in a play. Also, plays don't <laughs> really have fun and game sections the way that movies do. And sure. it's kind of a very literal fun and game section of this movie. Yeah. He's <laughs> <laughs> just playing a bunch right. of different games. <laughs> it's just yeah. like John Travolta in a series of different pairs of shorts. <laughs> yeah. In the play, it's just track. Yeah. Okay. And there's kind of no metaphor for the long distance running that the coach kind of gives where you go like, oh, because he has to go long distance running because Sandy's a long game win. Oh, I didn't even catch that. That was a long distance <laughs> <There's> metaphor. <laughs> in the movie, it does the passage of time in a way that I didn't get until I watched this with my boyfriend because he was like, oh, because he's trying out for sports in season order. And so he starts off with like a fall sport and then he's in track and that gets us to it being the spring dance about. (laughs) So this is a year long 
quest for him. Yeah, yeah. He like grows and changes actually for a long time if he's doing these different sports and that's our passage of time in the plot. Which right. is so bizarre because, yeah, like the, the the beginning of the movie, it's their first day of school. The end of the movie, it's like their graduation the basically. Day. Yeah. But the movie seems like it takes place over the course of like a week. So it's really more dissonance that I can't really wrap my head around. But yeah, so in the movie, he does land on track, which we don't even find out until the end. But we see him kind of like practicing track and Sandy sees this and she is impressed because I guess she loves jocks. I guess she loves athletes. Yeah. Also, <laughs> so, the, the other, sorry, so much of this movie is weird. At, <laughs> at this school, like cheerleaders and jocks are like, not cool or they're like less cool they're not cool by the greaser standards so they're not alt yeah right right it's like it's a alt kids running a high school never heard of it like pretty fascinating concept but (laughs) can't relate well that's another i'm like are they like how popular are they is it just that we because we are following their story you know, we're we're seeing it through their perspective. So we're, they're like, oh, these must be like the cool kids around. But are they? I don't know. I don't know. It seems like they rule the school with an iron fist. Maybe it's because they're, <laughs> could be because they're 30 years old. They're much. <laughs> Might be well, that's true yeah. because the, the, um, the cheerleader girl, I think. Uh, Patty. Patty. Yeah. Patty like is throwing herself at Danny Zuko. So yeah. Yeah. And she know. wants Rizzo to like think she's cool kind of when she comes up to the lunch table and is like trying to fit in with the, I think the pink ladies rule the school rule with an iron school. fist. Oh, uh-uh. I like, I, I'll allow it. I, like I mean, that. horny alt kids running the school as a concept. I like. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Same. So Sandy is now impressed with Danny again. And she's like, hey, there's this dance coming up. You should take me to it. And he's like, okay. But before that, Danny takes Sandy to this diner. But Danny is embarrassed because his friends are there. And things kind of fall apart for everyone. We also get the beauty school dropout song. Mm -hmm. Because there's a random subplot where Frenchie has dropped out of high school to go to beauty school. Then the dance happens Mm -hmm. where the National Bandstand TV show is there to televise this like dance competition and Danny ends up winning the competition, but it's by dancing with another girl, Cha-Cha. So Sandy sees this dance with Cha-Cha and you'll never guess what she does. (laughs) She gets jealous and runs off. So (laughs) another very weird scene. Yeah. Then we cut to... A drive-in movie theater and Rizzo she thinks she might be pregnant the whole school finds out about it in like 10 seconds um, I think we're missing that Marty alludes to the host of the dance trying to drug her or successfully yes. drug her yeah and it just gets brushed right over breezed right past yeah and Fontaine put an aspirin in my drink and I was like <laughs> I don't think that was an aspirin like you should yeah. maybe brush up not brush over that yeah and everyone's like haha <laughs> There's so many things that people just like say in this movie. And then you're like, what is that going to come back? Like that was really fucked up. And then no. it never comes back. No, I was like, it doesn't oh. come back. They didn't think that was fucked up. They just thought that was a joke. That was yeah. normal in 1978, I guess. So, so Danny and Sandy are also at the drive-in and Danny gives her his class ring. And then he tries to force himself on her and she 
doesn't want that, so she runs off again. That's one of the running off that I'm very um. I was like, okay, that's yes. that's a good that's a good run off. Yeah. Sometimes Get when she runs there. away, I'm like, where are you going? But then that time you're like, <laughs> oh, that is you do run away. Yeah, you do. We also get a song here that I feel like is not very memorable. I, don't I totally even know what forgot it is. about it. It's yeah. I mean, it is like <laughs> objectively watching that of like he forces himself on his girlfriend and then sings a whole song about like why is she so why mad did you at leave me? like <laughs> it's when he's supposed to reflect and learn about his mistakes in the plot right for us to like him at the end and instead he just complains about it and he's like what will they say monday at school and he obviously means like she left me that's embarrassing not they saw me assault somebody and she screamed and ran away how embarrassing right. yeah like <laughs> That that I told I had no recollection of that song and it is so jarring to listen to now because and it also sounds like at certain parts of like yeah he's kind of like blaming her for making him look bad he yes. does, he's it's not an introspective song he's just like <laughs> that song was wild baby yeah I sit and wonder, yeah 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 <laughs> it's like Danny go home. Take a long, hard look in the mirror and, like, figure your shit out. Work on out. yourself. <laughs> Danny needs to work on himself. And also that, like, men working on themselves in this movie means joining the track team. <laughs> it's like, all right, sure. Okay, I guess. <sighs> Uh, okay, so then we cut to the next day, or what, it might be the next day, it might be five weeks later, we're not sure. Whatever. (laughs) But, um, Sandy tries to extend an olive branch to Rizzo. I think it's implied that she heard that Rizzo might be pregnant, so she's trying to reach out, and Rizzo's like... I really like that scene between, I was like, aw, I do, I love Sandy. I just wish that she could stay the way she is. She's a sweetheart. (sighs) Yeah. She's very she's very quick to scare, but she's <laughs> but she's like such a sweet, kind person. I think she has scary parents. It's implied Ooh. by the movie and more explicitly implied by the play that she's pretty afraid of her parents. Oh wow. Like, I didn't pick up yeah, on that watching the movie. Either. I don't know what she's gonna do with all that hairspray at the end of the movie. Is she gonna like have to shower at Frenchie's house and get in trouble for having wet hair? <laughs> <laughs> she's gonna have to live a double life now. <laughs> Her parents were like, hey, you thought you were going back to your home in Australia? Too bad. You live in the United States now in some city. We don't know where we are. Okay, so in the play, I'm sorry to be in the play guy, but in the play. I want to know. In the play, Sandy is going to go to the private Christian school, but then her dad gets in a fight with the nun lady there about her patent leather shoes because the school is claiming that that means that people can see up her skirt because her shoes are too shiny. But her dad is obviously the kind Mm. of rageful person that can't take that criticism and so pulled her from the school and sent her to public school. Interesting. Okay. See, I think, like, again, it's like knowing that framework helps you understand sandy a little bit better because in the, yeah. in this movie it seems like she is just like that's just what she's like she's like kind of conservative in how she dresses and behaves and then everyone's like that sucks you have to change but it's like if there was a context any context for like she is behaving that way out of reaction to something else and like wants right. to live in like a more sexually free way that's 
that makes more sense. I don't know. Yeah. But the movie doesn't do that. The movie is her prude self is her true self. And it makes no case against that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Damn, that's in- I <sighs> I did not know that she had a, a scary. I mean, that's poor Sandy. It's just mildly oh, implied by the play, but it's definitely more present. Huh. Rageful parents. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Sandy has kind of like extended an olive branch to Rizzo, and then Rizzo sings a song about how there are worse things that she could do. Then it is time for Thunder Road, which is a race between the T-Birds and the Scorpions. And Kaniki was supposed to race against the head Scorpion guy, but he gets bonked on the head. So Danny has to race. <laughs> in... Classic jacket guy injury. <laughs> <laughs> so Danny races against the Scorpion instead. And Sandy is there to watch. She sees Danny win. And then she gets an idea, which is an to... An awful idea. <laughs> Sandy gets a terrible, awful idea. She has a terrible idea. She runs off to execute this idea, which is and to change your everything kit. about herself. <laughs> yeah. Frenchie's there to help her, and she basically changes her entire look and her entire personality. And she shows up at the school carnival looking like a greaser girl, all decked out in black leather. And Danny is like, oh, hubba hubba. And he takes off his Letterman cardigan. I feel like that's yes because he's wearing he's it. Like I didn't need to change. I did forget that he showed up prepared to change everything about himself, but then she shows up already having changed everything about herself, and then he immediately is like, "Fuck it, Woo, we're both yeah. Danny." Throws like, the cardigan. <laughs> forget about that shit. Yeah. Right away. Never a discussion. I was like, "Well, okay," but it, but then it's like. But then they're only ever like happy when they're themselves with each other. So I don't un- like how was that whole thing right. at the end necessary? He liked he liked how she was. Exactly. I don't. It's it. It, yeah. Weird. There's a lot to talk about there. <laughs> but so she shows up all completely different. Danny likes it. They sing "You're the One That I Want" to each other. Um, and there's some other kind of denouement oh, stuff. Like Rizzo, Rizzo turns out not to be pregnant. A, yeah. Rizzo shouts from a Ferris wheel. Turns out it was a false alarm! That was the most abrupt resolution to what was like a pretty large plot point. Yeah. She's like, just kidding! And he's like, woohoo! And... I'm gonna make an honest woman out of you. Does that, <laughs> wait, does that happen in the play? Did you get to yell from a distance um there's definitely no ferris wheel in the play and no the (laughs) the ending is a little different um and it sort of isn't brought up that much except for after they've sung and it's the end she's like hey can we go to the pharmacy i think i'm getting my friend and that's like the third to last or fourth to last line of the whole play oh (laughs) like her period (laughs) she's getting her period okay wild all right but she's not she doesn't know she isn't pregnant Oh, okay. She just thinks that she's going to get her friend. <laughs> you can Sometimes you feel it coming huh. on, you know? Oh, mm. yeah, for sure. <laughs> but I don't know how you know that if you've never known what pregnancy feels like. Right. Hey, Kaniki, mm. can we stop at the drugstore? I think I'm getting my friend. Kaniki puts an arm around her and all the kids smile and cheer for Rizzo. Frenchie, gee, the whole crowd's together again. I could cry. Jan, gee, me too. Sandy, yeah, a wop bop a loo bop. <laughs> curtain now that's plot resolution (laughs) (laughs) 
In the movie, the last thing we see is Danny and Sandy flying into the sky in Danny's flying convertible. That's In the fantasy car, because that's not what the real greased lightning looks like. That's what it looks like in the fantasy. Yes. Do they all die? Is that? <gasps> well, that's the, that's the best fan theory. Are we going to get into yeah. the fan theory? Ooh, we could. Well, before we do that, that's the end of the movie. So let's take a quick break, and then we will come right back to discuss. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. Is he breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
So what do we want to talk about first? Wait, what is this fan theory? I would love to hear. I would love to hear the fan theories, uh, just to get things all heated up. <laughs> well, there's a really popular fan theory. Okay. That Sandy dies in the beginning sequence, <gasps> and the whole thing is her coma dream until she Whoa. finally properly dies at the end. And then that's why there's the shot of the heavenly clouds. So Hmm. that theory being that when they get splashed in the footage, she actually drowns instead of uh, (laughs) him just lying about. Because he sings, saved her life, she nearly drowned. And so that fan theory takes Zuko's obvious lie about saving her life and says that's true. And the whole thing makes sense and that's why they're singing because she's either been dead the whole time or is in a coma and then she dies at the end. God, wait, that's fan theories always like scramble my brain because I'm like, there's no way. But then also it's like, but what if I'm like, is but this why cool? is there a shot of them flying into the clouds then? I don't know. I did. Mm. I did like I remember like, especially when I was a kid, I did not question it. I was like, yeah, they're so <laughs> happy. Sense. They're so happy. <laughs> she changed everything about herself and now a car can fly. Like, yeah, that's the power sense. of women changing for people. Um. <laughs> well, shall we shall we talk about that? Because that is kind of one of the most glaring things. I mean, one of many glaring things of this movie. Yeah. And I think it's like the most popular criticism of the movie now, too. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because to me, so like a main arc of this movie is like Danny kind of being in this prison of his own toxic masculinity and like needing to learn that it's okay to be emotionally vulnerable and to like let his friends know that he cares about a girl watching him reach these conclusions and how he goes about doing that is like not handled the best but I was like okay like this movie it does have more of a commentary on toxic masculinity than I remembered so I was like okay yeah that this is something but then he comes to this realization but it doesn't really matter because Sandy has just completely changed everything about herself for this guy and he is like okay great thanks for doing that we can be in love now it's really bizarre I feel like watching through it these like two times to get ready it was like i i think that like the popular criticism is like a little overly simplistic because caitlin you're right that like they it's just weird it's like this movie starts saying a lot of things and then kind of doesn't finish saying any of them and then at the (laughs) end they're like actually the status quo was fine like it's just bizarre because it's like there were moments where you're like oh that seems like an intentional like this like hyper masculine life that danny's living is like affecting him negatively and Mm -hmm. like he's not he's not his like most authentic self when he's like with the t-birds and it's clear that the movie wants you to think that way but then like in the back half of the movie they're kind of like but fuck it who cares like it's so weird it's but i feel like the conversation has started but then it's just like abandoned and it Mm -hmm. was what is like okay question (laughs) what is the like what is what are you supposed to think at the end of this movie? Like that was, I was like, right, what what's do you the takeaway? Being like, what, <laughs> what was that movie about? You know, it's just everything he does that we are like, oh, Danny, why'd you do that? Stop that! Is like, is because he's trying to maintain this persona, maintain this like macho 
persona of toxic masculinity to like impress his his guy friends his tough greaser boys and when he like very clearly wants to be able to be emotionally vulnerable and to like like he can be on the beach (laughs) exactly although he does some fucked up stuff on the beach too where he's like that's true i'm gonna kiss you and she's like no danny don't spoil it you're ruining it yeah yeah Yeah. it's not spoiling it it's only making it better yeah and it's like he forces himself onto her in the first scene in the, the first, first scene, scene in, in the, the drive-in scene. scene, in many scenes, um, th- and there's a lot to talk about there, <sighs> yeah, uh, as well. But yeah, it's just the takeaway seems like true. Like either it just is like the the takeaway seems just like, and the status quo was fine the whole time, and mm-hmm. and it's and that's fine. It's just well, yeah. <laughs> so one of the writers of the original production mm. Jim Jacobs and I'm pulling this from our favorite scholarly journal Wikipedia incredible so and I I wasn't able to find exactly where what this original quote was or what the original source was so kind of take this with a grain of salt but according to Wikipedia if you look at the Greece uh musical mm. page it says that uh Jacobs has described the stage production's basic plot as a subversion of common tropes of like 50s movies where Mm. in 50s movies like the female lead would often kind of transform this alpha male into a more sympathetic and sensitive character so jim jacobs was trying to subvert that and make it so that like the story is not doing that and like he stays unsympathetic and she has to change to conform to his fantasies and to his desires. It's and it's like, why would you why would you idea. subvert that? <laughs> like <laughs> Yeah. It's it's kind of say like the movie is saying slut shaming is bad. You know what's good? Prude shaming. Right. Yeah. Right. Like it's just in like okay, having the context of like that attempted inversion, I feel like it's it's kind of follows the same logic of why a lot of these like all female reboots don't work is like let's Mm. just have let's just um gender swap this premise and then not resolve any of the harmful aspects of the premise um Mm -hmm. (laughs) which it doesn't it doesn't work like and i guess it is like very second wave feminism-y to me to to have that kind of like rooted in sexual freedom and like not shaming women for having sex but then also like outwardly shaming any woman who doesn't feel that way or like just assuming that well now every woman has to be extremely horny and if you're not like you're stuck in the past you better have sex right now right or john travolta will force it like yeah it's also worth mentioning that danny zuko is an incredible slut shamer and he seems mm-hmm. to devalue anyone that he's already slept with and we see that consistently yes he, at, like we see him at school for the first time and he says oh same old broads everyone's made it with like he dismisses them as unworthy mm-hmm. because he's already slept with them and he does that with Rizzo he does that yep. with Cha-Cha and yep. it leaves me wondering what how he's going to treat Sandy when he finally sleeps with her right yeah. and it seems <laughs> right. like part of my okay so Part of how I was reading his like determination to win her over was connected to like I think that there's just like a lot of Madonna horror stuff going on here where Mm -hmm. part of why he's pursuing Sandy so aggressively is because she will not have sex with him. 
and like that and just like kind of yeah it's like a valuing her exactly and where like he see he perceives her as this like oh if i can get this girl it's it's almost like the cruel intentions thing where ryan philippi is aggressively pursuing reese witherspoon because she's this like ultra virgin type and like that's why he's interested in her because like she like she'll never give it up but if he can manage to do it then he's like the god like the king of the world kind of thing not to Mm -hmm. quote titanic of course but sleep titanic a perfect movie out of this (laughs) i feel like i mean we have no choice but to assume that that's what danny sees in sandy because so little there's like zero time spent in the movie showing why they like each other or what is compatible about them Mm -hmm. so like that's just what i assume that that was another like point that i felt like the movie started to make and then completely abandoned was that double standard because the movie seems aware like very aware of the double standard of Mm -hmm. how sexually active like teen boys and sexually active teen girls are treated very differently and that's mostly through iconic uh grace character rizzo where it's like rizzo is like that that character where you get that split most clearly demonstrated to you where you know, it's like she um, thinks that she's pregnant and like is just kind of left completely to her own devices. She's shamed for it. She's cast out for it. And the movie wants you to think like that's not OK. That's not right. But then it never it never resolves in any meaningful way. She, they're like, oh, just kidding. And we're not going to talk <laughs> about alarm. the fact that you were ready. to. The whole school was, you know, ready to completely ostracize her if if it wasn't a false alarm or like right. it's just bizarre yeah but there's another interesting thing happening there too she has unprotected sex with Kaniki. he finds out about her pregnancy her pregnancy scare sorry she's and... yeah it's true she's <laughs> almost heavy with she greg almost... <laughs> <laughs> but he i think un Maybe not unlike Danny, but there's like, I think an interesting comparison to be made between Danny and Kaniki, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. Kaniki is like, hey, I heard you might be knocked up. What can I do to help? And she's right. like, Which it's I not even expecting. your problem. Right. I wasn't expecting that either. She's like, it's not your problem. It was someone else's problem. But and, she and, doesn't and, quite say that. Like, and she kind of uses it. She says it was, don't worry about it, Kaniki. It was somebody else's mistake. And mm-hmm. I think that is sort of like I think Kaniki kind of takes it as it's not his kid, but I think mm. I think that Stalker Channing's subtext is it was my mistake. I don't want your fucking help. Ah, uh, yeah, because mm. that line is different than the play. Interesting. Oh, interesting. Well, okay. I never thought for a second that she like had sex with someone else, and she thinks it might be like yeah. someone else might be the father. It's it's no. clear to me that like he is the father if she is pregnant but she's more just like lashing out sort of thing but I found it interesting that like he was like I don't run away from my mistakes I like I'm gonna be here from you you know like we'll figure this out but she kind of dismisses him so he you know he he runs off very Sandy Sandy style he's like he (laughs) kind of like he almost like skips away he's like oh great no responsibilities another interesting thing about that is that Um, so a lot of the, like these T-bird guys are all about like, how can I exert my masculinity? How can I demonstrate my masculinity? Oh, they're in prison. They're in in prison. They're like, but if they're like, oh, if I've like made it with a girl, if I've had sex before, that just shows how awesome I am, which is like a very like 
standard thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But when we see him and Rizzo kissing in the back seat of his car, she's like, "Do you have, you know, something for protection?" He pulls out a condom. It immediately breaks because he's like, "I bought this in the seventh grade," implying that he's, a he's never had sex before. He's yeah. Had sex before. So I mean, I don't know. There's just something fascinating to me about Kaniki where he is kind of like putting on this persona of like, "Yeah, I'm a greaser boy. I'm a T-bird, Blah blah blah. But he also is like, he seems less concerned than Danny does about being emotionally in- attentive to like to the girl he likes. Yeah, I mean, the I bar know. is on the floor for these guys. <laughs> yeah. But, like, Kaniki is, like, I guess he's definitely not the worst one. I got, I, I totally forgot the whole, like, implication that that was his first time having sex, too. And that's, like, mm-hmm. another, like, that's, like, starting something interesting of, like, oh, there's some double standards at play here. But then it's just, like, nothing happens. No. Right. No, yeah. Nothing gets resolved with that. <laughs> no. But I do, I mean, it's, like, I love, Rizzo was my fave as a kid because she's cool and mm-hmm. she smokes a cigarette and that is what being cool means um in a movie and <laughs> uh, even though i remember my mom being because my mom smokes cigarettes like a fiend um jill and she was she was like that's what happened to me i started smoking cigarettes as a teenager just like rizzo and look at me now i'm a disaster you know so she was <laughs> So she used Rizzo as an anti-smoking ad. Mm. She's like, she, oh, oh she, Rizzo thought she was so cool, but she wasn't, Jamie. <laughs> um, but I like, I, I, I really like how complex Rizzo is, even though it feels like, especially the movie doesn't take advantage of how complex her character is, because she often, even when people offer her help, she it seems like i guess i'm curious maybe i'm reading too much into it but it just seems like uh she has like a lot of internalized shame and is like unable to accept help from others even when it's well intended and like she just seems to have like a lot i don't know yeah it seems like she holds a lot of shame and that's why she pushes sandy away when sandy offers to be her friend that's why she pushes kuniki away and Mm -hmm. i don't know i feel like it's kind of rare in a teen musical to see a character with deep internalized shame. I wish it like mm-hmm. went somewhere, but I just, yeah, Rizzo's yeah. interesting. There's one of the only things that we really know about Rizzo and Kaniki's relationship is that they're having a giant fight in front of their friends that is upsetting enough to Rizzo that she throws a milkshake at him. <laughs> yeah. We know nothing yes. about that fight. It never gets resolved. Daniel Day Lewis, like, man, my milkshake. <laughs> You have my emotion. Um, yeah, so we know that their relationship isn't perfect before she gets pregnant. And mm-hmm. then it, their problems are solved by her not being pregnant. Mm-hmm. Right. And it still doesn't, I don't know. Like, it's, Sandy is a saint for still being nice to Rizzo after how cruel, like, Rizzo is so mean to her all the yeah. time from the moment they meet. But it's, it's like, I almost wanted more of like a, moment of like understanding or reconciliation with them i guess they sort of have it there in that scene where rizzo's like oh i will never accept help because of that's just who i am but thanks anyways but i I mean it's like i can't it's just like an interesting plot point to have someone 
take out their frustrations on another teen girl um, Mm -hmm. for something that they're insecure about in themselves. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like that happens in real life at times. And it's like, but you have to say something about you. I don't know. (laughs) Right. Yeah. There's sort of an absence of commentary. Yeah. A lot of the time in a movie that you would expect there to be more commentary. (laughs) I guess maybe not. I don't know. Maybe my hopes are too high. Yeah, I'm a Rizzo stan. I'm just like Rizzo. People are reaching out to you. Off, take <laughs> take someone's hand. Uh, but she isn't pregnant, so then her life is perfect. Yes, yeah, so then her life is perfect. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's take another quick break, and then we'll come back for more discussion. Bean Dad, the dress. 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time, and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Well, to kind of 
just continue a little bit on that Rizzo conversation. She she sort of almost uses Sandy. She's like trying to get back at Danny, I think, Danny. for yeah. for like kind of leaving her high and dry sort of thing. Mm. And she knows that like Danny's going to react the way he reacts at that like football game bonfire thing. I just feel so bad for Sandy because she's like using her as a as a pawn. And then there's also this like component with that Patty Simcox, like popular girl cheerleader character where Rizzo's like, oh, I'm, this is what the other girls are like. And I'm not like the other girls. She's not like other girls. That's, and that's not like other girls. And that, (laughs) that plays in to what to me is like this, this movie sort of like an encapsulation of like white fifties, like suburban Americana where Mm. there are these archetypes that we see of teenage boys and teenage girls where we have of the boys there's like the greaser type the jocks who we see in like tom and then there's like the nerd type because there's this eugene character who like kind of comes and goes and then with the girls we have um kind of the greaser girls who don't have a hobby of their own they're not actually fixing up cars the way the boy the greaser boys are but they just like run with that crowd like the, the the pink ladies yeah oh okay i guess they're not like greaser girls but it's like like, they don't get greasy right but they run with that crowd but they rat their hair so they're they rat their right (laughs) they seem to like i mean it's like it's kind of framed that they they're they exist because they're friends but also just kind of to date the t-birds right like that's just kind of what that's why they unionize i don't know (laughs) right did they unionize uh, I well, they do wear their own merch, so that's, that's fun. true. That's true. They at <laughs> least have a tea public. <laughs> yes, and so do the tea birds. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that kind of, I was like, oh, like they hang with the greaser boys who have this hobby of like fixing up old cars. But what are the girls? What's their hobby anyway? Then we've got like the Patty Simcox like cheerleader girl, and then we've got like the goody two shoes type, which is. Sandy. So there's all these archetypes which fit into this perception that I think still exists today of like the 50s. It was this the good old days, you know, everyone poodle skirts, milkshake. Yeah, everyone, you know, married couples didn't ha- slept in different beds. No one had sex and everything was hunky dory and like Greece shows a different side of this like common mis conception i think the movie sort of seeks in the in the play like seeks to be like hey no like teens have always been this way like you know we they get into trouble they have sex they're horny they're you know Mm. doing all that stuff but it's also like greece is still preserving this idea of like white 50s middle class americana and it like does nothing to like challenge that status quo there's just like yeah, one like the fact that this is like it comes out in seventy eight. It's about nineteen fifty eight, so it's already a period piece. And it's like mm-hmm. you, I don't know, just even like writing wise, if you're gonna make a period piece, then you should probably try to say something about the time that you're, um, <laughs> not just be like, and everything was way better twenty years ago. Like there's just <laughs> right. even though it's like the the idea of the 50s is very clearly represented here there's no there's no commentary on it really like there's no mm-hmm. there's nothing being i don't know like it just again it it's like 
well, what are, why does this movie take place in the 50s? Why is it important that it does? Mm-hmm. Is there anything about this culture that is like, ugh, it's just really bizarre. And then, yeah, the romanticizing of the 50s in particular, I mean, most romanticizing the past is just like, 10 miles of bad road but um <laughs> but like the 50s in particular it was like a like uniquely oppressive time in the u.s for like yes. anyone who wasn't danny zuko basically like it's very like in 1958 high schools were mostly not even integrated right and women were like being encouraged to stay at home and not have jobs like it was worse than 10 years before in like McCarthy the McCarthy era was also yeah like, it was like incredibly time. like restrictive time but the fat but the but the looks were good and mm. so that and we all <laughs> like milkshakes so you know there's a little push and pull there but it's like I romanticizing the 50s is always I don't know I I can't I can't get there but also, mm-hmm. I guess, you know, people seeing this movie in 1978 may have been alive for it. Um, and but they're like, what? They're like, what is the thing? They're like, oh, remember when women couldn't have jobs and schools were still segregated? I'm like that. Huh? Why? So apparently this play got written at a time at the very beginning of there being this 50s fanaticism in the 70s and Mm -hmm. I don't know how the writers in particular felt about it but definitely the 70s became hugely pop uh, the 50s became hugely popular in the 70s I think Mm -hmm. sort of as a reaction to how socially liberal the 70s were becoming Mm. right and that's where the idea came from also the the show was written without music and right after somebody with a good sense read it was like "Hmm, this maybe needs something Mm. <laughs> Maybe needs a little more than this plot. I've definitely never seen a non-musical stage version of it. No, I don't yeah. think it got very far before they put music in it. That's yeah. that's so interesting. Yeah, I had no idea. Well, and I haven't read or seen. I don't think any stage versions of this. And um, the, the stage version that premiered had music in it. Got okay, mm-hmm. but it was originally written without it. Got it. Oh, so like the like before it was brought to. Broadway. Yeah. Got it. Okay. I have the I, I've read and Gracie, you can speak to this better than I can having just reread it, but like I've read that um the movie is like a pretty sanitized version of the play where the play does seem to attempt to touch on more kind of social issues and like some class stuff and like more about like teen sexuality and maybe in a more meaningful way. Maybe not, I'm not sure, but I think one of the main criticisms of the movie was that it was a kind of watered down version in terms of its like social commentary got it of the of the stage production. They definitely in the movie took away moments of Danny actually being nice to her that exist in the play. <laughs> and they also took away Sandy sticking up for herself. Mm. When oh. when Rizzo sings Look at me I'm Sandra D in the diner Sandy walks in on it and literally attacks Rizzo and the boys have to pull the two apart and then they Whoa. try to fight again and they have to be pulled apart again. So Sandy's <laughs> willing to beat somebody up about her emotions and that is very absent in the film. Yeah. Mm. All stuff that would have been great. Yeah, it's because like, we, <laughs> we don't see him be very nice to her in this. Like it's truly only like moments of a couple of seconds and never when anyone is looking which is like... Yeah. Well, it's also never when anyone is looking in the play. He's only nice to her in private. 
but okay, he says okay. more things that are nice. <laughs> so like, oh, that I mean, again, I have to keep reminding myself that this like this came out over 40 years ago it is about a time period that's like 60 years ago you know there but like i'm just like why did they end up together why did sandy just like put up with this horrible he's mistreated her so much the entire story and then she's like well i better change everything about myself so that he'll like me and then maybe he'll treat me better but probably not he does stop touching her he he does he doesn't touch her without her initiating it during you're the one that i want so it was she had to change everything about herself so that she <laughs> that was what made him um respect, respect. consent was her yeah. changing her entire personality. Yeah. She had to dress up like a literal dominatrix with tight leather <laughs> pants yeah. in order for him to listen when she's like don't fucking touch me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it it's tough. It's tough. <laughs> there and I get and I get like I, I like their romance is very simple and for like the kind of movie it is, like most I don't know. I I don't even mind a movie musical couple being like pretty simple and just being told like they like each other. And mm-hmm. like I'm I, I don't really care that much about that. It's just the fact that we only see him be not nice to her and then yeah. her have to and anytime she acts in like quote-unquote defiance towards him anytime she just does her own thing or like goes and dates tom goes and immediately gets on the cheerleading squad at a new school what what an amazing (laughs) life um even though she's pretty bad she sucks she's yeah (laughs) but i was like oh wow she's really struggling to fit in just kidding she's immediately the most popular girl at school um (laughs) but yeah just the the fact that we never see him treat her well i don't know this movie's so weird but i like all the music so much um <laughs> but it does it, i feel like it is even if it, even though it's a very simple relationship and we're just told they like each other how they were at the beginning of the movie if we're taking that at face value that the way the movie plays out is still kind of makes no sense because he he liked her when she was like a very passive sweetheart at the beginning of the movie. But then yeah. she's like, now I'm a dominatrix. And he's like, actually, I like this. I'm like, I don't think you like her. Right. Well, it's like, it's like now that my friends are around and we're wearing the same outfit, now they can respect that I like you, Sandy. So it's fine if I show that I like you. I just like, I don't follow the, the logic at all. Yeah. yeah, right when you're about to not be in that social situation too. Right. Right, yeah, right. right. right when it it's doesn't like, matter right, anymore. Because they're graduating. <laughs> but no, they're, they're like double down at the end. They're like, we're never going to leave our hometowns. Ever. We're always going to, we're going to, which is like fine, but also just a very aggressive ending message to the movie. <laughs> I think, okay, isolating the music and taking it away, because to me, they like the song and dance numbers. And this is coming from someone who doesn't like musicals generally. Those are the best parts of this movie. Yeah. If you take those away and just like examine beat for beat the plot and like the different like character arcs and stuff like that, this movie makes no fucking sense. <laughs> like, and it's it's like it's a it's a badly written story. It's just like there's no lesson that anyone really learns. Mm-hmm. There's no growth demonstrated, which is so weird because there's so many characters who are like edging on learning a lesson and then they just don't. Right. <laughs> yeah, like you said, like it seems like things are being set up for the, again, like yeah, the setup of like 
Danny Zuko being a prisoner of his own toxic masculinity and like it seems like he's gonna have to learn how to break out of that and like grow past that and then it just doesn't happen and he just keeps like forcing himself on Sandy and mistreating her throughout the entire story and, and then, then complaining like, never when learns. she doesn't respond and be like stop <laughs> embarrassing me like right. it's, it's bad or Frenchie is going to choose her own life path but then an angel comes and is mean to her so then she goes and graduates high school which it seems almost like the theme is going to be anybody can pass high school because that's said on the announcements at a crucial time and it's like sort of reinstated like stay in class you can pass and then that Mm -hmm. doesn't really seem to end up being meaningful I felt like I I felt for Frenchie has such an incomplete story but I, I like Frenchie I like that she's like trying to do her own thing she's trying to figure herself out then she fails once and frankie avalon is so mean to her <laughs> he's a he's bully just like, suck great outfit though <laughs> no customer would go to you unless she was a hooker like which oh, is again i was just like yeah yikes that, uh, that line yikes is that line a disaster and then on top first of all um i know it wasn't of the time but i thought frenchie's hair was cute but oh, the pink the pink i was like yeah, okay yeah. you just have to move to 2021 and you're gonna be the most popular girl <laughs> you're gonna be the most popular 30 year old in school um <laughs> but even in that song i feel like it's implied in one of the lyrics that she should go back to graduate high school and then not get a job and kind of be a housewife where he basically says like you're not cut out for a job so go finish he does, high he school. He first says, go finish high school and you can join the steno pool. He's like, you can't be a hairdresser, mm-hmm. but you could be a stenographer. Uh-huh, but then yeah. later he implies that she couldn't hold a job. Mm. And she's just not cut out for it. It's so sad. Every time <sighs> that Frenchie. scene, the way that that song is set up, at least in the movie, I always, you always think that the older waitress is going to be singing to Frenchie and that she's going to end up being the fairy godmother. Oh, um, yeah. If I ever stage this show, I'm stealing that idea. That's so good. <laughs> <laughs> I always like the because it's always she was like, well, I don't know. I was like, oh, she's about to turn around in, and it's going to be sequins and she's going to tell Frenchie how she's made it in her life. And nope. then but then it's just like, oh, no, the, here's here's an, a character we've never met. and We never see again telling her she could never hold a job. <laughs> like, oh, uh, I know. Poor Frenchie. There's also I mean. We touched on this, but the one of the other pink ladies, uh, Marty, Marty, we touched on how an adult man preys on her and apparently tries to roofie her, and that just gets completely blown past and played off as a joke. Mm-hmm. In the play, he is scripted as going around the dance, feeling people up. Oh. That is a part of the stage directions in the play, is that he's like watching people dance, and then he is occasionally like copying a feel. <laughs> I, I can pull it up. Nice. I dog-eared it horrifying it's funny sexual violence from old people is funny hilarious it's funny to assault it's so weird because it's like in 1978 are they like it was a simpler time i'm like i'm pretty sure people were also doing that in 1978 so maybe it was just a continuation his hands slither down and rub one of the girls across the ass or Mm. nonchalantly trying to quote cop a feel is in the stage directions yuck yikes uh, well, interesting note on Marty. In the play, she is explicitly engaged to the Marine, and then she has a song about it. 
Okay. And then they've changed it in the movie so that she's in pen pal relationships with lots and lots of men, which is more of a comedic beat and not a song beat. Mm-hmm. And has also been used, I read and watched a few arguments uh, as to why this is a highly feminist film. Mm-hmm. And one of the points that is made is that these women don't seem interested in domesticity or having babies or getting married. Mm-hmm. Which is less true in the play because Marty is engaged. Sure. And I guess she seems like a little bit more like she's living an exciting life because she has multiple men in her life that are across the sea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it doesn't seem like they have career interests either. So I don't really think that that argument has a leg to stand on. I think it it makes sense to me in like the framework of like what second wave feminism seemed to mostly Mm -hmm. be where it's like still very like it. I feel like second wave feminism in particular kind of really enables a lot of like rape culture because it kind of does. Yeah, because it's like it rejects domesticity. It encourages women to you know, at least on paper, um, like have sex with whoever they want and like get a job if you want, like have more freedom, but in a way that almost like endorses all this gross behavior from men and framing it as like, no, women are allowed to enjoy it. You don't have to pretend that that you don't like it because you're a prude. And it's like almost... Ugh, I don't know. It's mm-hmm. such a mess. No, I'm telling you, I don't like it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I'm like, but what if? But what if? Uh, what if you meant it? Like, <laughs> um, <laughs> there's also tricky. like a during that beat when she's like, oh, I like I'm dating a marine and a whole bunch of other guys too. She puts on this robe and she's like, yeah, Bobby got it for me in Korea. And then I forget which one it is, but someone's like, you're not dating Jan. a Korean, are you? And um, she's yeah. like, no. He's a marine, so it's like. Of course, I'm not dating a Korean. You stupid. Oh, right. It's I was like, like okay, yep. so there's there's like yeah, there's that racist joke. There was like the like little homophobic moment at the dance. All couples mm. went to the girl. Do oh, I'm looking at you, Eugene? Yeah, yeah, yes. whatever. Yeah. And then there's just like a ton of I mean and again this is like the most basic criticism of Greece so I don't even want to like harp on it but like the amount of like rape culture in this movie is so wild it's like that's that's all of the t-birds just just like their character it's barely worth mentioning but like the I mean what is worth mentioning but it's like this has been already mentioned a million times by a million people but like the lyric did she put up a fight? And it's like, oh yeah, yeah. that's like, oh yeah. god, the debate. I mean, it's like at this point, it's like, yeah, that's rave culture. I don't know why it's an <laughs> argument. This, I'm so, there are certain like arguments that people are never sick of having. That it's like, can we just can we just put it to rest? It's yeah. obviously a very rapey line, and um, I don't like what's the argument, right? Yeah. Oh well. But yeah, I, all the T birds. I mean, the, all the T birds are in, are in a uh, prison that they have constructed. <laughs> the society is really constructed for them. Well, like again, there's a moment that I'm like, oh, this this could be fun, or there's could there could have been more commentary on this where Kaniki is trying to ask Danny Zuko if he'll be his like driving buddy or so. I don't even know what he's yeah. like. You'll will you be my second in command for this is the like thunder borderline race? like a romantic it's moment? It only very, sort of like, makes sense what's happening. Yeah, I don't know what he's asking, but he's basically just like, "Will you be there for me, bro?" And he's will like, you be my yeah. second? Yeah. at Thunder Road. It's like, do you want me to be in the passenger seat? Like, what are you asking? Anyway, I'm and so he glad doesn't... you also didn't understand that because I was like, because Danny Zuko 
like reacts so he's so thrilled i'm like what but what what's the question <laughs> does that mean you'll fill in for me in case i get my head bonked by a car door and i'm unwilling to race is that what he's preparing for i guess like can you, so be, can my, you be my my understudy, understudy? <laughs> so weird right because well, like danny doesn't even know what he's asking at first either but then he's like oh yeah yeah, yeah oh and then they like so once he realizes they hug what, and get embarrassed yeah they hug <laughs> And then there's like this nice tender moment of like platonic male friendship. And then they realize what they're doing and that they're like, you know, greaser guy friends are also right there watching. So then they pull apart. They start like, you know, combing back, slicking back their hair and like resuming their like, you know, macho persona. And I'm like, can't we talk more about that? Like, why can't the movie explore that more? And then but it's just like this fleeting moment. They legally cannot explore (laughs) They cannot <laughs> male friendship. I wanted to go back to the pink ladies to Jan. Yes, because yeah. there's a there's a strange <laughs> thing happening there, and I didn't even realize what was happening until like halfway through the movie. So basically, there's a scene at the diner where she starts talking to one of the T birds, and I truly have no idea which one it is. Putsy, Putsy, the blonde guy, right? Whose, whose character is Roger in the play, and Roger is also supposed to be fat. So there's supposed to be two fat characters, and then the movie there's one fat character and no fat actors, and, and actually no fat actors. Right? Yeah, that was so, no that actors. was so confusing. I okay, so what? So basically, what happens here is that Jan is talking to Putsy, and they start kind of like flirting and connecting, and. Putsy's like I've always seen you as more than just fat and she's like oh thanks and you're just like what what did what what are you talking about because Jan that actor is is not fat not fat the actor is not fat but then when I went back and rewatched the movie I realized that she is apparently supposed to be coded as fat because she Mm -hmm. is wearing baggy clothes and she's Mm -hmm. always Mm -hmm. eating yeah which is I didn't (laughs) notice that on the first watch and then like had to rewind when it hit that point i was like what was this signal to us in any way but it is it is in the way that they like like you're like in the way that she is eating sometimes because right because like if you're fat you're always eating that's what the movie right which is like the laziest plot point in the book (laughs) also the fact that in the play they were that that whole implication that like fat people can only date other fat people like that's another Mm -hmm. exhausting like Ugh, yeah there's 300 times more jokes too oh, oh no oh. yeah it's it's pretty bad i guess i'm glad that those aren't included like in the movie it <laughs> yeah. was just very jarring especially especially because then it's like the sad thing where she when they say explicitly that this is supposed to be a fat character and then you're like huh and then she implies that she's been like starving herself dieting. and she's been yeah. like dieting and that now that she's dieting a boy likes her like you're just like mm-hmm. fuck and then at the very yeah. end when there's like the whole like carnival dance sequence she's in like a form-fitting dress and i think it's the implication is oh she's lost weight it's like i think that that's how the actor looked the entire that's movie. just how she's oh. always looked the whole time i was just like i could not even begin to wrap my head around what the intention was of any of that but i was like I, get, I think the movie's trying to tell us that this character is supposed to be fat, even though the actor mm-hmm. is thin, but we're supposed to think she's fat because she's eating all the time. I was just like, what choice is this? That was so, conf- yeah, that was a very confusing plot point to 
take in. I mean, that's, I vaguely, now that you say that there's more jokes in this stage show, that kind of rings a bell to like productions of it I've seen before, which is also just like, especially when you're like often casting kids in that show, incredibly cruel and fucked up to do. <laughs> Yikes. Um, that was weird. I thought her, like, I, I didn't know because I was like, there are all these like stock characters and there's a wide I'm like the most I can kind of say for like there are different types of women in this movie but it's just kind of like a lot of different types of female stock characters yeah it's archetypes it's not there's like, a wide real there's a wide range of archetypes presented yeah. <laughs> in this movie I thought that she was I at first I was like Jan is a, I, I, I went a different direction. I'm like, oh, she's wearing glasses. So the movie wants me to think that she likes school. <laughs> but apparently that's not what I was no. supposed to think. No. Oh, wait, no, I think it's she Marty that book. wears glasses. Does she? Who wears glasses? Marty. Oh, she has the horn rim glasses at the beginning. Yeah. She has glasses in the first scene. So I was like, got it. Books. <laughs> but I was wrong. Mm. Outsmarted by a different fucked up thing. Don't they make me look smarter? No, I can still see your face. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh um, boy. Hmm. Hey, here's something though. The mechanic at their school who helps Kaniki fix up his car is a woman. Yay! Yeah. Mrs. Murdoch. So we're supposed you know, to think she's the shop teacher, I guess. I think so. Yeah. She gets a matching outfit. <laughs> but that's not a role that a woman would traditionally play as like a, a shop teacher, like an auto uh, mechanic, especially during that time. So I was like, okay, that's something. <laughs> yeah, that's something. That's something. I liked her outfit. I just I love all the outfits. All the outfits <laughs> cannot argue with them. Um, I just have a couple other really quick, just again like the promotion of rape culture that this movie likes to do. Uh, yeah. that I'll gloss over really quickly. Um, there's the I think it's which I forget which T bird it is. Again, they they all just sort of blend together for me. But one of them is like looking up a girl's skirt on the bleachers and like. One of yeah. his friends does the absolute bare minimum to, like, stop him and call him out on it. But it's to embarrass Putsy. It's not to stop it from happening. It's mm-hmm. to, embarrass to embarrass Putsy him. Okay. because yep. he got caught. Yeah. I, yep. Okay. That makes more sense. And then they sense. just go like, hey, high five. And then there's also a moment where it's, like, during or after the Summer Nights song where Sandy has said how great this boy was that she met and then Rizzo says oh you know this is supposed to be true love but he didn't even lay a hand on you sounds like a creep creep to me so like the girls unfortunately are also kind of like have been conditioned to buy into this rape culture idea that if like a man isn't throwing himself on you and assaulting you constantly he Mm. must not like you i think that's also connected to gracie what you were saying earlier about how like that is kind of like what is supposed to make this movie feminist for its time is like oh they're not prudes so therefore like that's feminist when you're like no this could actually be encouraging some pretty like harmful it's so i don't know summer nights is the wildest song of all time because it's so catchy and i love it so much but it's like they're just it's just like people singing in this like cell of gender normativity that they've created yipes yeah well does anyone have any other thoughts 
Um, should we talk about Cha-Cha? Oh. Yeah. Our only... Cha-Cha. She's not explicitly a character of color in the play. Okay. Mm-hmm. But then she's kind of our only character. Like, that's on- our only speaking character of color, I think. I thought she's Italian. Oh, she's supposed to be Italian in the movie, too. I think based on the last name. I read a whole bunch of criticism about her character from that standpoint. Okay. Yeah, because I, I, I know that the actor who played Cha-Cha is Mexican-Italian. Mm. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd like to know more about the criticism around it because that whole, I mean, the way that that character is treated at every stage is, I mean, she shows up, she is immediately a villain. She's one of, um, you know, Danny Zuko's discarded women. But what, what is mm-hmm. what is some of the criticism around around that, Ben? You know, it was it wasn't like a super in depth article, but it was pretty much just you know they they refer to her. Um, I forget which is the play and which is the movie, but they refer to her chest hair at one point. In the play, they call her yeah, a gorilla. Oh that happens <laughs> in the movie where like she gives because she's like sort of dating Crater Face. Yes, yeah. sometimes yeah. I think, and she like pulls a little necklace out of her like cleavage or something like that and gives or like a little charm or something and gives it to him and then one of the pink ladies is like oh she just pulled chest gave him some chest hair or something like that oh i missed that line that's yeah horrible yeah it's it's worse in the play but um we could talk a little bit if we want to about women are kind of mean to each other like Mm -hmm. for it being an explicit click and group there is not a lot of supporting each other's wants and needs going on even among the pink ladies they're I think all it's, yeah especially pretty mean to each other like and they're yeah. supposed to be friends yeah, they're pretty mean to each other marty doesn't keep her secret and like even like the principal is really mean to the office administrator mm-hmm. oh yeah yeah, I had I had a few notes about that as well, where it was like there is no support within this group that we're being presented as like, oh, look at like visually they're presented as being very close with each other, but they can't talk mm-hmm. to each other. Like Rizzo is like kind of drowning in her own like shame and insecurity and she can't communicate honestly with anybody. Frenchie doesn't tell anyone that she's dropping out of beauty school because I guess she doesn't like trust her friends enough to share that information. She only shares it with a waitress who immediately Mm -hmm. leaves the scene. Like (laughs) that made me sad. I was like, wow, no one has like, everyone is very isolated for a group that we're supposed to be like rooting for as best friends. Like that's, and, and then, and then Sandy too, where they immediately except for Frenchie who doesn't really, who does, who also joins in to bully Sandy when it's convenient. But they immediately isolate Sandy as well. And it's, again, it's like there, there is, there's not even really an attempt at a comment on it where there's no, yeah, there's just never any resolution. Like, it's just like, and that's just the way things are. Women get jealous of each other and they're Mm -hmm. catty and they're mean. And that's Mm -hmm. just what they're like. And meanwhile, men are horny. And it's like... Yeah, we got right. it. Yeah. yeah, with 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 no attempts to even try to explore 
like what the context for any of that might be or like it's it's the thing we talk about all the time where it's like men have seen women being mean to each other they can't imagine why that would be but they've noticed it so they're like well women are just mean to each other (laughs) and like not stopping to think for a second that it might be because our patriarchal society means that women have to compete with each other for the very limited resources and opportunities that are ever allotted to women but men are just like, nah, it's probably because women hate each other because they're all petty. Right. Which, like, this movie would be, I think, like, able to tackle if it wanted to. Like, I don't mind seeing, like, teen girls in conflict with each other. There's a lot of movies that do that very well and, like, mm-hmm. have it make sense and you understand the argument. And, like, but this is, this one just just presents it as like this is just what happens yeah makes me sad Mm -hmm. they're all so alone like they really are so like (laughs) in terms of like emotionally and like who they're able to open up to i can't even really think of two characters that i'm like oh there's a strong bond of trust and affection between these characters like no one can be their authentic self with anyone else in the entire movie it's really (laughs) now i feel sad no it is (laughs) well it's it's trying to be critical of a world in which everyone is so busy performing their assigned genders and fitting into society mm-hmm. that look at these cool people they're on the outskirts of society and they aren't doing that but they're all so busy performing their alternative versions of gender identity that they right. are doing the exact same thing as their peers right exactly <laughs> it's so it's really depressing i was like god boomers are so they're hurting so much uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Like, I just, no one can be themselves in this movie because everyone is so, so focused on performing for each other and rejecting people for arbitrary reasons. And I understand that that's like a pretty authentic adolescent experience for a Mm -hmm. lot of teens, especially like in the 70s, especially in the 50s. You know, like, again, I I keep having, having to remind myself, like, this was all stuff from decades and decades ago and therefore we can't have high hopes for it but sure. if you're going to explore the like turmoil and pain that like a teen goes through with like trying to figure out their identity and like behaviors that manifest because of like their internalized misogyny or because of their you know the prison of their toxic masculinity like then Again, I think the bottom line for this movie is, like, it starts to try to make some arguments or, like, make some commentary, but never, there's, like, absolutely no follow-through. Yeah. Ramalamalama, g-dinkity-dinkadam, That's how it gets solved in the end. Yeah. A boogity-boogity-boogity-boogity-shee-wee-doo-wop-shee-wop. Hell, like, hell. Everyone is so... trapped except i mean if i was sandy i would be thrilled to be you know flying into the sun and burning to a crisp (laughs) like at that point sure why not clearly no one here is gonna ever learn a goddamn thing i do like when when frenchie is like men are rats no they're fleas on rats no they're amoebas on fleas on rats and then she says, the only girl a guy can get, depend on is her daddy. And I'm like, oh, like how <laughs> the only ended. man a girl can depend on is her daddy. 
which <laughs> no thank you no i'm glad she at least has me. a good relationship with her dad yeah i know like, maybe she French. can have an emotionally honest but apparently she can't because she didn't tell him that you know <laughs> she about the anyone. whole beauty school thing <laughs> she only tells out and she has to like frenchie has to make someone up to have a conversation with anyone and that person also bullies her maybe yeah maybe frankie avalon is her dad maybe for, oh and he and yeah I mean, but he hates her he has so many children it's probably true <laughs> i know i'm supposed to know who frankie avalon is but i truly have no idea um it's okay is. thank you so much he's not in the best early 1960s beach party movies like if i was to recommend one i would say watch pajama party Okay. Um, his character is also really mean in those movies. Like, you're supposed to like him and want him to be with Annette, but he's an asshole in all oh. of the movies he's in. He's terrible. God damn it. <laughs> well, men are rats. They're fleas on rats. rats. No, they're amoebas on fleas on rats. <laughs> There's one theory that I wanted to bring up, Ooh, yeah. and that's uh, the interpretation that the reason Rizzo is so glib about her pregnancy being a false alarm is that that isn't what happened. And... Ooh. And, you know, she kind of, she has a, a line, that's, I mean, the, the movie is so different than the play, but she has a line after Patty runs by giggling at her and Sandy tries to be nice and she's like, you think I don't know what people are saying about me. Right. Mm-hmm. And that could be just that she's pregnant, but then she, I don't know. There, I think that's a fun interpretation. I think it's an, an interpretation that has sort of been concocted after the fact to try to make it seem like a more feminist movie than the filmmakers intended for it to be. Like, I don't think that that's the movie's intent is that she had an abortion. Right. But if you watch it with that in mind, you're like, oh, yeah, you could totally see that that's, that's at least in the performance, an option of interpretation. And that does seem like something, like, that feels kind of aligned with Rizzo's character of, like, she deals with her problems on her own and she doesn't ask for any help or support that she might actually need. I mean, that's that's interesting. I kind of... I mean, that plot point would make more sense than just being like, just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Well, she says she missed a period, which that seems right. severe. And the play, she's just five days late, mm-hmm. which right. is not that big a deal. Huh? Right. But you could just like, be stressed. I missed a period. Yeah. Is a little different. Mm. And then she's like, turns out it was a false alarm. And that could be a lie. I want Rizzo yeah. to be able to talk to someone that isn't via just bullying the girl closest to her. <laughs> Rizzo's also trapped in this very strange um, Everyone pattern is, of behavior. Everyone is trapped. Toxic feminine toughness. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> it is like she can only express herself by, listen, hurt people hurt people. It really is true. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. <sighs> Rizzo, I just, Yeah. And then, yeah, it's like the women don't push back. Like, it's weird. It's like the pink ladies seem like aware that they know of the double standard of like girls are sluts if they have sex. Guys are amazing if they have sex. But then they still slut shame each other anyways, almost in a way that's like strikes me as like a little coping mechanism of like well no one's ever gonna you know not slut shame us so let's also slut shame each other like right if you can't beat them i don't know i'm gonna sit these girls down oh let's yeah the last thing i wanted to bring up was just there's always this um when i was just looking into like i was trying to look into like what does like a teenager right now think of Greece? it seems like for all of the many 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 reboots of Greece that has happened that have happened it seems like teenagers kind of don't 
aren't very receptive to the movie now and they mm. by and large are like yuck like i don't you know they have no nostalgic <laughs> attachment to it um sure and don't seem that interested and so as recently as like a couple of days ago um, i guess the bbc like played Greece on like one of their larger channels Mm -hmm. and there was like this big twitter backlash of like stop showing this movie on tv we hate it like there was a really (laughs) big like everything about this is like misogynist and and gross and it scares me when there's only white people in a movie like teenagers do not like this movie and good like great for them Mm -hmm. like but then they're still but they're still making a lot so it's like there's a little bit of dissonance there and then olivia newton john was asked to comment on this last year which is like well this usually doesn't go well um and uh it didn't it didn't go that well um yeah she was she was asked by the guardian of like you know like greece has gotten all this feminist you know criticism over the years what do you think and she said it's a movie it's a story from the 50s where things were different. Everyone forgets that at the end, he changes for her too. There's nothing deep in there about the Me Too movement. I agree with that last part. Uh, but she says, it's just a girl. <laughs> she said, it's just a girl who loves a guy. And she thinks if he, if she does that, he'll like her. And he thinks if he does that, she'll like him. I think that's pretty real. People do that for each other. It was a fun love story. And I see what she's saying there of like, it's a it's an extremely goofy movie. Um, <laughs> oh, boy. Don't take it too seriously. But it's like, it's such a famous, I don't know. I feel like that's like basic media literacy. Olivia, if people <laughs> are beat over the head with the message of your movie, it's impactful. And so, yeah, she's fine. And I also, there's, there was like a lot written about how her career changed in a very Sandy-ish way after Grease came out where she mm. had written, she had like done some, she had released a couple of successful albums before Grease, but they were more kind of like, they just weren't like explicitly sexual songs. They were pretty like just pure songs about love, blah, blah, blah. And then after Grease came out, they kind of pivoted her image to be like really sexually driven. And so in the early eighties, there's like, let's get physical. And her next album is called totally hot. And like, her image was kind of pivoted in a in a sandyish way. Hmm. That's all I got. A uh, life imitating art, maybe. Um. Does this movie pass the Bechdel test? It does. It does. Yeah. Right near the beginning, Sandy asks Frenchie, "Do I look okay, Frenchie?" Fr- Frenchie says, "Sure, you look good." Sandy says, "I'm really nervous, you know," and so Frenchie says, "You look terrific." Yeah, they like they have a. I I don't know. I mean, it's like there there was more exchanges between the girls in this movie that passed than I thought would. They spend a lot of time talking about guys, like a mm-hmm. lot of time, and then they also have they also talk a lot about just like a little more interesting, like how they feel they're perceived by other people. Um, but they usually yeah. are talking about how. I don't know. And then a lot of the passes are them bullying each other. So, <laughs> yes. But they do like women are talking a lot in this movie, more than I mm-hmm. like remembered there being. There's a lot of conversations between women. It's just sometimes mm-hmm. they're just bullying each other. Yeah, so you know, not ideal, uh but they do talk to each other. 
Uh, let's rate the movie on our nipple scale, zero to five nipples, based on an examination of intersectional feminism. I will have to give this, I think, like a point five. <laughs> and again, like everyone's gonna be like, but it came out a million years ago. Like you have to consider the historical context. And yes, that is true. But I also feel like this movie started like it felt like it was equipped to like make some commentary. And if you're going to do like a 50s nostalgia story and you have hindsight of what the 50s were like and you you want to comment on that, like we've said, it feels like the movie feels equipped to make some of that commentary because it starts to. And then it just completely bails on it halfway through or not even like it bails on it after like 20 minutes and then is like, well, wouldn't it be fun if we just keep seeing Danny Zuko mistreating his love interest and then until she decides that it doesn't actually matter to her, until she stops running away from him and then like... <laughs> and then puts on some leather pants and changes her entire personality and that's what enables them to be together question mark it's just yeah obviously it doesn't um hold up by our standards today i do see some of the arguments that it would have been perceived as yeah like second wave feminist at the time but uh thankfully we have moved past that and progressed beyond that yeah. at least a little bit so um yeah w e even with all the you know the historical context in mind i have to give it a 0.5 and mm -hmm. i'll give my nipple to rizzo i feel like she was the most interesting and complex character rizzo. and rizzo. she she deserves better and i wish we had gotten more from her and for her Stucker Channing is also so great. I'm always, I'm never not so jarred by how dirty she's done by that. Whoever illustrated the title credits make oh, yeah. her look yes! so just not how she looks. They like, mm -hmm. make, they shrink her mouth down to like 5% of its size. And then they're like, <laughs> oh, you know how Stucker Channing has a tiny mouth. And you're like, I don't know that. No, no, I don't know that. Very weird. They also make Sandy look like just a generic animated princess yeah. without any of her flaws caricatured at all. And like her face would be easy to do that too. It's not like she looks just like a faraway drawing of Cinderella. Yeah. This, uh, <laughs> there's some animation choices in that beginning. As much as like that, I love the animation style of that sequence. Um, but uh, the way they draw some of the actors is uh, <laughs> questionable. Um yeah, I guess I'll, I'll go with uh, 0.5 as well. I feel like the, his, I mean, I, I see the second wave feminism arguments there, but it also like ends up being like, oh, women are allowed to have sex now. They're still going to get shamed for it aggressively by each other and by everyone around them. <laughs> and assaulted constantly. But I, I mean, after revisiting this movie, I feel like the his, even the fact that it's like a movie made about the 50s in the 70s, that almost makes it like, I, I view it a little uh, like, less well historically because it's like a movie made in a more sexually liberal progressive time as nostalgia for when that wasn't true and in a way that mm -hmm. is completely uncritical of that era so I just it's mm -hmm. just all very weird um <laughs> and 
it is definitely like extremely impactful to this day to the point where it's like, Caitlin, you don't even know if you've seen it because it's so like, maybe you have, maybe you haven't. It's so yeah, like yeah. ingrained into American culture and also just kind of peddles this like false image of what the fifties were, which were mm-hmm. like not really a good time. While also trying to like not do that, but then like still doing that. <laughs> I just yeah the 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 period choices of it just are very weird um but the music slaps the outfits are incredible and they're like the performances are good it's just man so much potential I like that they start saying things but then there's also that definitely that vibe that we talk about sometimes of like uh man like an adult man desperately trying to write a teenage girl and completely (laughs) like it was an attempt yeah yeah i don't know some half-formed thoughts uh but and i and it's still fun to watch i don't know but i'll give it a half nipple for our purposes um Mm -hmm. and also just i mean it it goes without saying that literally at one point i was like is this not an integrated high school in like canonically but there are there are a few black students at the school in the but it's yeah yeah. they don't even have lines but it's so aggressively white that they I don't like, even looked it up. Have mid- medium shots. Yeah. 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 yeah not even to me. Yeah. It's so that's also, I mean, it's like, I, I understand where the teens are coming from. That's a very <laughs> jarring thing to see and, and not have addressed in any way. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Romanticizing 1958 is just like a bad idea. So I'm going to give it, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm give it a half a nipple and I'll, I'll, I'll also give it to Rizzo, Yay. but I'll give it to Vanessa Hudgens's Rizzo. <laughs> Oh, good grief. Gracie, what about you? Rizzo 2, Rizzo again. Ooh. Sorry, that was supposed to be a princess switched again. Play. <laughs> I'm going to change yeah. it. I'm going to give my half nipple to Rizzo, but Rizzo the rat, the Muppet. Oh, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> Rizzo the rat. <laughs> Different Rizzo. Okay. My strategy is I'm going to give out some nipples, and then I'm going to take some nipples away. Oh, Ooh, please. love this. I'm going to give a nipple to the opening sequence because it's fabulous. Mm -hmm. Um, I have this little addition subtraction thing I've written that involves taking away nipples for Soccer Channing's drawing, but it (laughs) adds up to the same amount and I'm going to go past it. Okay. (laughs) Um, I'm going to give a nipple to Look at Me, I'm Sandra D. Because out of the context of her making, kind of making fun of a real person, I think it is kind of a feminist moment. Uh, at least the messaging of that song taken out of its context. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take away a nipple for looping together Danny pressing himself on Sandy. And then I'm going to take away a nipple from the T-Birds showing Patty's panties to the camera. Right. Yes, I forgot about that. Um, yeah, that's oh an God, assault we so didn't touch on. Happened that we <laughs> oh, didn't even remember them all. Yep, that's bad. Um, Yikes. And... Ugh, whatever. I'm gonna give it a nipple. Yeah. I'm gonna give it a nipple. Give it a nipple. Hell okay. yeah. I feel like if I give it less than a nipple, my dad will feel sad. <laughs> <laughs> Valid. Understood. Well, Gracie, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having what me. A, this was awesome. Uh, what a fun summer night we've had. <laughs> <laughs> um, where can people follow you online and plug anything you'd like to plug? Um, I am at Gracie Gillum, G-R-A-C-I-E-G-I-L-L-A-M. Um, I have a movie circling around on Lifetime Channel right now. I don't know when it's airing, but it is 
uh, called Stolen in Plain Sight. Mm-hmm. Um, you can look out for a movie called Superhost coming up pretty soon. Ooh. I'm excited for that. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Thank you again so much for being here. Yeah. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bechtelcast. You can go to our Patreon, aka Matreon, at patreon.com slash Bechtelcast. It's only $5 a month, and it gets you two bonus episodes plus the entire back catalog of our bonus episodes. This month we're doing to Amy. Oh, wait, what are we calling it? She can do it all month. What can't she do month? (laughs) It's doing two Amy Adams movies. Yes, I'm going to call it Adam's June. Ooh, okay, Adam's June. Which, of course, we are observing in January, so. Amy Adams' drama, Arrival, Jeremy Renner, Mm -hmm. okay, Mm -hmm. and then Amy Adams' comedy, Enchanted. Wow. So, so versatile. I'm excited. She can do it all. (laughs) (laughs) And then our TeePublic store, teepublic.com slash thebechtelcast for all of your merch needs. And with that, let's get get in the convertible. We're flying oh. into the sun. <laughs> vroom, vroom. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love Love at first first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see... See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.